Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Keezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me for the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. ESPN Radio Freddie and Fitzsimmons host Freddie Coleman will join me later to talk about a variety of sports topics. First up, it's horse racing talk. The Saratoga season is in its final week, and we have the Kentucky Derby on Saturday. To talk about that is our man at the Saratoga, but he's actually in the Party Shots podcast studio today. It's the Gazette Sports Writer, Mike McGadden. Mike, uh, welcome to the podcast and welcome to the studio again. Thanks for having me, Ken. I made kind of a little escape from the track for a day, but I'll be there, you know, all the way through um, Labor Day closing day. So, so let's get a little little getaway, yeah, the, the great escape. <laughs> let's uh, talk about the Kentucky Derby first. Obviously, tis the law. The morning line favorite, three to five. I mean, those kind of odds are you know, really you don't see those kind of odds usually. Well, you do if it's 1989, which um, that that's the uh, price they had on Easy Goer when he ran. He finished second to uh, Sunday Silence that year. Um, yeah, and there's a lot a lot of factors behind that. He was originally supposed to be four to five, and then one probably the second choice it would have been the second choice art collector. Um, the uh, bluegrass winner had to scratch out with a very minor injury. In fact, probably could have run, but. You know, the trainer um, did the responsible thing, Tommy Drury, and, and said, you know, we're not going to do this to the horse. He basically kicked himself during a workout, so he's got a little abrasion on his, you know, it happens all the time, and it really wasn't prohibitive to run him in the derby, but, um, uh, you know, they're going to wait for the Preakness. So in the meantime, there really, there's three, besides Tis the Law, there's two other really good horses in here, Honor AP and Authentic. They drew the three outside posts, and then it's a lot of stuff that's like, Bombs away, baby. Um, you know, I really don't know who might emerge from the, this group. I got a couple opinions um, that that might have something to say about it, but really, it's tis the law trying to fight off Honor AP and Authentic on those three outside posts, and uh, um, tis the law certainly has all the tools to to win this thing for sure. It's an eighteen horse field, and tis the law drew the seventeenth pole. Is that uh, that's position? Is that a tough position to come from? Well, they've run the Derby 145 times, and the horse with the number 17 saddlecloth has never won it. Now, that said, he's actually going to be breaking from the number 18 stall. So you, it's kind of like a flimsy, you know, angle to think that, well, the 17 can't win because he's actually going to be breaking from the 18 stall. Um, Churchill Downs has a brand new. 20 stall starting gate that they've shipped from Australia to replace their previous 14 stall with a six stall auxiliary thing, which was kind of an awkward setup to, to get 20 horses out of there. Um, uh, so they got this new starting gate, but they only drew 18 horses for the Derby. So to be fair to the inside horse, um, they'll leave the number one stall empty and the number 20 stall empty. So those 18 will be in the middle. So really he's kind of like breaking from the 18 hole. Um, so, I mean, the, the important thing was, he, and he, his name was the last one drawn on their random draw on Tuesday, um, just, you know, by pure random luck. And 
But when they got down to the last three spots, the one, the two, and the 17 were still open. And I know that Sacatoga and Barkley Tag were terrified of getting that one, which is just an awful place to be because you got a, just a pile of horses kind of stampeding over toward the rail, and you kind of get you get gobbled up in there. So and so they dodged those two bullets by not getting the one and the two. They got the 17. They they just want him to be outside and to be able to dictate things and. Um, you know, not have to worry. There, there's less likelihood out there that you're going to get slammed around and just got, you know, get smothered by the field when you're out there. Now, stupid things happen anyway. And if you look at any, at the long comments on any Kentucky Derby chart, you're going to see words like bumped, checked, and it happened. A lot of it happens at the beginning of the rest, race as all these jockeys are kind of trying to get position and stay out of trouble and so there's a lot of banging around that goes you can actually lose you can't really win the race at the break but you can lose it by getting you know checked up really severely and then you know spotting the field a couple lengths so out there he should be fine and authentic and honor ap both have a little bit of early speed so manny franco on tis of the law can kind of let them clear and then gradually get some position over toward the rail to save a little bit of ground while avoiding traffic and doing it. So um, it, it'll be up to Manny Franco to figure out a trip and figure out a way to get into that first turn without getting fanned like way wide. But at least a lot, he'll, he should have a lot of options available to him. So from a post position standpoint, tis the law, you know, based on all the middle posts, which they wanted getting picked early, that, that worked out okay for him. How's Tizzle looked? Uh, obviously, the breeze has been great up there. Do you think he's ready to go? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's been absolutely flawless. Uh, he's been at Saratoga. We've watched him work, you know, the last five times. Um, a couple before the Travers, which he won by five and a half lengths, and a couple after. He had two breezes after the Travers, and, and really he's just hasn't done anything wrong. And, you know, really the only hiccup was – they, we got rain last weekend, and they had to kind of they hustled it up and ran. They, they breezed him at 5:30 in the morning on Saturday. And they wanted to do it on Sunday, but they were looking at the weather forecast, and but that really didn't make any difference at all. And the work went off exactly the way, the way they wanted it to. Um, it was sub a minute for five furlongs. He galloped out in his you know without breathing heavy the way he always does. So. He, he's locked and loaded. Um, speaking of the weather, before I forget, um, Churchill did get a lot of Churchill, which does drain very well, by the way, their main track did get a lot of rain Wednesday. You're supposed to get a lot on Thursday too, but looks like the I checked the uh, National Weather Service and Friday's supposed to be perfect and Saturday's supposed to be beautiful too. So um, we can eliminate that factor. He has run once at Churchill Downs. It was last year in the um, Kentucky Jockey Club grade two as a two-year-old, and he came in third. And there's a lot of speculation that he didn't like. And that was kind of a, a wet track that day, sloppy sealed track. And there's a lot of speculation that he won't let, he won't have to worry about it because the, the weather's poor. But they've said all along that the, the track, and Manny Franco has said that the track had nothing to do with it. It was more just kind of the trip at the time. He got bottled up a little bit and wasn't able to get into a stride. But since then, he's equipped himself in a lot of ways that, that will uh, you know, facilitate a good trip. That being, he's braking a lot better this year as a three-year-old, and he just has this tremendous high cruising speed, and he can accelerate on a, on a push button when he wants to. So he's, he's got all the tools to get it done. Let's talk about jockey Manny Franco. I mean, how important has he been to Tis the Law success? He's, he's done everything right, and 
you know, in, in winning the Travers and the Belmont, the two things that he really did right were picking the right time to dial them down to save something for the next one. Now, they've said all along that if the Belmont had been run at the traditional mile and a half, you would have had no problem with that whatsoever. So they're not worried about the mile and a quarter, which they certainly you know, accomplished very convincingly when they, ran, when they won the Travers. So I actually asked Manny Franco last week. They had a media veil for him last Friday um, so we could get him before he left for Churchill. And I said, when do you decide, when, for instance, in the Travers, when and how do you decide when to shut him down in a race? And he said, well, I got to the eighth pole, and I, he took a little peek back, and, and he was running so smoothly that inside the eighth pole, um, he basically let his momentum carry him to the wire without any fear of being threatened from anybody behind him. So, uh, you know, Manny puts him where he needs to be, lets him do what he wants to do, and in the Belmont and Travers, um, preserved him for future races. So, I mean, they, they're just in very good p position right now. Um, so he knows the horse. Um, he's been on him for every start except for his maiden break, breaking victory at Saratoga in his first career start last year when Junior Alvarado was on him. Um, so Jockey knows the horse. He's been on him since last year and all year this year. And, uh, you know, really there's no excuses from that standpoint. Looking at the horses here, I'm on the odds. I'm seeing a lot of twenty to ones, thirty to ones, fifty to ones. I mean, it's, it seems like you know if they're the, these odds are so high, why are these horses in the race? Well, they're in the race because it's the Kentucky Derby, and we see this every year. There's, there, to be specific, there's eight horses that are listed at fifty to one, and when the race goes off, a lot of those are going to be way higher than that, like seventy-five or eighty to one. They're in the race because it's Kentucky Derby. It's a whole different experience, and it's going to be way different this year with no fans. So the walkover and my old Kentucky home, singing that song and all that stuff, is going to be. You know, the the owners that want to go to the Derby are going to lose out on that experience. But, you know, it's a, whatever, it's a one-and-a-half, two-million-dollar race, whatever the purse is, and if you come in fourth-place money, that's, you know, it's a pretty decent check right there just for winning the, the race for fourth place or fifth or whatever. So, um, you know, it's the most prestigious race in the United States, and people want to run in it, even if they don't really have a good shot to win it. So um, I'm thinking this might be a year where something stupid might happen, where one of those 50-to-1s, like, hits the board and just blows up the try and the superfecta and everything. I still haven't figured out which one of those I might throw in there on my ticket, but i got a couple days to, to sort that out. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned the fact no fans. They were originally going to have about 25,000 fans there. Why the change uh, to go no fans? Well, originally it was going to be about 23,000, which is what they calculated to be 40% of capacity in their grandstanding clubhouse if they were going to um, you know, do social distancing and everything. Um, and then in the meantime, they had 47 positive COVID tests, uh, you know, between the backstretch out of 1,800 tests that they took in a five-day span. Uh, last week, and which is like a 2.58% hit rate for positives, and plus just the state of Kentucky and Louisville kind of entered what they call a red zone as far as like a little bit of a spike in positives. So the governor kind of put a little pressure on Churchill and said, hey, this probably isn't a good idea. I don't know if he flat out said you can't do this, but um, to 
to uh, exercise, the, you know, the necessary caution. They decided, okay, no fans. Now, the ironic thing is they postponed the Derby from May 2nd until September in the first place because they wanted to give themselves the best opportunity possible to let fans in there because that's a big part of uh, Churchill Downs Incorporated's revenue in any given year is, is they, they bank off, they basically milk the Derby for a lot of their, you know, their whole year's worth of revenue by letting 150,000 people in there and 130 or whatever they get on, on Oaks Day that Friday. And uh, in the meantime, it, it might say something about how, you know, I hate to get a little, you know, broad reaching here, but the country hasn't done a good enough job to uh, get back to a point where large public gatherings can can happen. So their, their calculated move to push it to September so to give themselves an opportunity uh, to have fans in there initially looked like it was going to work out, but then at the last minute it looked like a, you know, a terrible idea and they had to back out of it. And, and speaking of which, um, the Preakness just announced on Wednesday that they're not going to let fans in. Uh, Pimlico announced it. Maryland Jockey Club announced that uh, the Preakness won't allow fans in, uh, wow. which is October 3rd. So they've already you know, nixed that idea. There's a fanless triple crown this year. So that's going to be uh, interesting. Uh, Friday, the Kentucky Oaks, we should have a – decent matchup there yeah, I, mean, I mean i'm actually it, it's kind of in a way it's more interesting um it, it's a little more interesting than the derby in one aspect because we have just an amazing matchup between swiss sky skydiver who just won the alabama at saratoga and gamine uh from bob baffert's barn who's uh the even even money favorite off of her just like spectacular seven length win in the test at saratoga which is seven furlongs, so we know Swiss Skydiver can go a mile and eighth, which is what the the, um, the Oaks distance is. So it's going to be very interesting to see that individual matchup. They got nine horses in there, and really it's a two-horse race. Um, back to the Derby, I think I forgot to mention that we, we mentioned the odds, three to five being unusual. Originally, Mike Battaglia, the odds maker, was going to make Tis the Law four to five, but then when Art Collector scratched with that injury, um, that... that um, you know, they kind of adjusted a little bit. Um, but, yeah, Oaks Day is going to be pr- amazing. Just to, I'm very much looking forward to see Gamine. Um, might be distance challenged in the Oaks. We know S- Skydiver um, can can go the distance, but Gamine might just be a better horse. So that's going to be really fun to watch. And this is the uh, final week of the Saratoga season that started Wednesday here and ends on the Monday, Labor Day. Uh, what are we looking forward to in, the, in this final week? Um. Friday is um, a, a whole menu of um, New York bred races, which are kind of is usually kind of interesting. Uh, although the you know the two most noteworthy New York breds in, that are running right now are Tis the Law and New York Traffic, who's also running in the Derby. Um, but there's some pretty good race, there's some pretty good stuff on Friday. You know, the Albany, which is restricted to three year olds. Um, is a mile and an eighth, and there's a lot of horses that were kind of on the Derby Trail that, that frequently um, target that race. Uh, and the other one is the turf race, the West Point. Um, we've got Dot Matrix, who just uh, finished sixth in the uh, Bowling Green at Saratoga's nine to five favorite in the West Point. And then on Saturday is Woodward Day. Um, uh, they drew that today. Um, we're looking at um, Global Campaign, Math Wizard, Prioritized, Moretti, and Spinoff, two Pletcher horses who won earlier in the meet, um, and uh, Tacitus, who was our, our buddy Tacitus, who who won the Suburban at Belmont last time out, was second in the Travers in the Belmont last year. 
Um, and then on top of that, we've got three-year-olds in the Jim Dandy, which is usually the Travers prep, you know, in this crazy mixed-up world we're living in. The Travers was early in the meet, and the Jim Dandy is on Woodward Day, closing weekend. And, uh, you know, probably the most interesting horse in there is Dr. Post, who was going to run in the Derby, and then they kind of backed out of it at the last second. He was second in the Belmont to uh, Tis the Law and also third uh, to Authentic in the uh, Haskell, so he's going to be running in the Jim Dandy instead. And, and the Jim Dandy kind of appears to be a repository for horses that are thinking maybe let's take an easy spot, skip the Derby, and, and use this as a springboard for the Preakness. So you might see some of these horses in there. I assume you're picking Tis the Law for the uh, Kentucky Derby. Who's going to finish second? Who's going to finish third? Um, right now, I for second, I like Honor AP. I think, you know, he, he kind of stumbled his last time. He finished um, second in the shared belief at in, in California to Thousand Words, who's also in the Derby. But I've always thought very highly of him all along. He won this, he beat Authentic in the Santa Anita Derby um, after having been beaten by Authentic in the San Felipe. Um, so I think I really like Honor AP to come in second. He's trained by John Sheriffs, who trained the great Zenyatta. Um, and I haven't really figured, like, I don't know if I'd really trust Authentic. He's a really good horse. Maybe doesn't get as much respect as he should. Um, one interesting horse in there that it, I'm going to have an eye on, and it'll be interesting. I bet he gets some, some money bet on him. He's 20 to 1 on the morning line is King Guillermo, who's owned by five-time Major League Baseball All-Star Victor Martinez. And, uh, he won the Tampa Bay Derby, and then he was second, um, uh, in one of the divisions of the Arkansas Derby, but he hasn't run since May 2nd, so he's been off for four months, which is a very unusual way to go into a lot of races, but certainly into the Kentucky Derby. So King Guillermo is kind of one that I'm looking at. He's 20 to 1. Um, and then again, going back to those 50 to 1s, I might have to like pick something out of that smelly box of candy to, to, to take a bite out of. So, um, But right now, I, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, I know it sounds chalky but to say tis the law and then honor AP, but, I mean, really, that's that's what this race looks like right now. And, uh, you know, the, the three best are clearly the three best, and the best horse is clearly the best horse, tis the law. So it, it seems a little silly to try to beat him. Um, so we've got to figure out a way to make some money using him on top at, at three to five, which I think he'll go off probably right around three to five, too. I don't... You know, if anything, maybe four to five when people start piling on some of these long shots. Um, but he's going to be very low odds uh, for sure, and, and and rightfully so. Well, Mike, appreciate you coming in the studio for a few minutes to talk uh, Kentucky Derby and Saratoga, and we'll probably wrap things up next week. The studio. I had, We didn't have any song references today. We're slipping. <laughs> well, we're, we're out of our game. I haven't been in the studio in a long time, the, the Gazette uh, podcast studio in a long time, so we're off our game. We'll, we'll have a song reference next time. That sounds good. I so, bought the law and the law won. Well, that's uh, that's right. like nobody's ever used that yet, right? <laughs> Please don't use that in the headline on Saturday. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually off on Saturday, so I'll have somebody else do that. Good for you. Enjoy the race on, on NBC. I will. Post-time is 7.01, by the way. That's a late post-time, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of is. I think they might have coordinated with Naira just so that they weren't stacked up again. It's so, again, it's so weird. I, you know, they don't want to, like, crowd up on the Woodward card. They want people to be able to watch it. So um, I, I don't know for sure that they collaborated, but it's, that's kind of what it looks like. Well, I'm hoping it leads into a Game 7 of the Flyers Islanders series. Well, I have no comment on that. So. Oh, I'm sorry. Any word on your Bruins? Any word on your Bruins? When does uh, NFL season start? <laughs>
That's Mike McCannum. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Uh, ESPN Radio's Freddie Coleman joins me next. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hey, football fans, the Daily Gazette You Pick'em Football Contest is back. Predict the winners of the weekly games via your You Pick'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets their name in Thursday's Daily Gazette and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery gift card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. To play, Go to dailygazette.com slash football and create your account or use your past account. Select the teams you think will win. You may enter your picks and score predictions five minutes before the start of each game. For official rules, go to dailygazette.com slash football. For questions concerning the local contest, contact Randy Lewis at rlewis at dailygazette.net. The trip to Hawaii is part of a national contest. The You Pick'em Football Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Byron Hunter, the world champion New York Giants. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. Well, it's been a while since we talked to our next guest. He is the host of Freddie and Fitzsimmons weeknights starting at 9 p.m. on ESPN Radio. Here is my good friend Freddie Coleman. Freddie, welcome back and hope all is well. All is well with me, Ken, and the family. How about you and your family? Everybody's great, Freddie. Uh, my son's just started his senior year at uh, Albany and uh, he's taking all his classes online right now. So, and uh, wife's working between home and uh, and and uh, the office, and I've been in the office all this time. So it's been we're, we're staying safe. That's all I can do right now. Uh, yeah, especially when it'd be great to have like a reset or reboot button when it comes to 2020 and move on to another year. But we do everything we can to make sure that everybody maintains some kind of safety and somehow, some way, we'll get through this no matter how much longer it's going to take. Well, before we get into uh, sports topics with you, Freddie, the la- uh, we haven't talked in a couple months, and uh, since the last time we talked, you got a new contract with ESPN Radio. Congratulations, uh, well deserved, and uh, you- that has to make you feel good. Well, it's one of the things I talk about in a business where if you're somewhere for 16 minutes, that can be a long time because of the fluid business that we work in when it comes to sports media. So I never take it for granted how long I've been at ESPN Radio. And can it really does not feel like 16 years because at times it feels like I just got here yesterday. So to have a chance to be at a place where I enjoy working with the people and being a part of a nightly show on national radio Monday through Friday, I know what kind of blessing that is, that plenty of people would kill to do that for one hour a week, and I get a chance to do it four hours each and every night. Of course, we got to hear you a long time ago, too, at uh, Fox Sports Radio 980 here in Albany, so we, we saw the start of it. Yeah, it's funny that you talk about that, because I was talking with a friend of mine about it, it seems that that was so long ago, but it really wasn't, and I wasn't, even though I was not up in Albany that long when it came to being a part of Fox Sports Radio and the affiliate up there. I had a blast working with John Tobin and having a chance to work at Picks 106 on the weekends, spinning tracks for the classic rock and roll station. So the Capital District in Albany will always hold a special place in my heart, and it was a place I always wanted to work in that market. So to get a chance to do that, even for a short time, it's something I've been able to take with me to ESPN Radio. 
Well, let's get on to some really uh, some hot topics going on in the sports world. And I think what we witnessed last week, uh, in the, starting with the NBA and then you know, gradually going on to the other sports leagues, uh, the social injustice, we, the, you know, the video of Jacob Blake being uh, shot several times by Kenosha, Wisconsin police. We saw the Milwaukee Bucks take a stand, boycott their game against the Orlando Magic, which led the NBA to postpone its games. And we saw the WNBA, uh, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, uh, the NHL, uh, NFL players uh, boycott a practice. It, it seems like sports is really taking the lead in battling social injustice, uh, Freddie, maybe more so than politicians. What do you think? One of the things about sports where people can no longer tell any athlete, male or female, whether they play in college or in the pros, to just shut up and mind your business and stick to your sport. Those days are long over. And I love that plenty of athletes, when people have thrown that at them, they've thrown it back at them saying, well, why don't you stick to what you're doing and stop speaking about sports? And it's amazing how that conversation quickly quieted when they were able to use that tactic and make that work in their favor. I think people have to realize that athletes are people. We don't have robots out there, no matter what sport they play, whether it's an amateur sport or professional sport. They're going to have feelings about issues as well as you do. And just because they shoot a basketball, throw a football, toss a shot putt, does not mean that they should have any kind of reason to say they, they express how they feel. So anybody that tells them to stay in their lane, well, if somebody told that to you, you wouldn't like it. So why are you doing that to other people? And I think by raising their voice, whether you agree with it or don't agree with it, you have to realize they're just like me and you. They just have a different vocation when it comes to what they're doing compared to everybody else on planet Earth. Yeah, I just I mean, you mentioned the people that tell them basically, quote unquote, shut up and dribble. Uh, it seems like they they just don't understand what's going on. I mean, you know, the Colin Kaepernick situation years ago. Now we're now I think a lot of people are understanding that. Well, maybe Colin Kaepernick was right all along. Well, one of the things about people telling athletes to do that, to me, it was a bully pulpit and a bully agenda saying that, well, I'm going to shout it from the mountaintops and I got enough people that will agree with me and maybe they'll go back into their place. And if anything, that calls athletes to revolt even more, whether they were speaking on behalf of Colin Kaepernick or speaking over here about this or speaking over here about that. They probably thought the minute that they threw that at the LeBron James of the world and people like that, that they were going to retreat. If anything, they gained more support from people inside and outside the sports where it got to the point that any time they would raise that, it had to fear blowback going back against them no matter what kind of media that they were in, what kind of form that they had that they believe was at their disposal. So that's one of the things that we've always mentioned that whether you were a supporter of Colin Kaepernick or not, it is your right just like it was his right to do that. And whatever side you fell on, that was okay as far as I was concerned because I'm sure plenty of people did not agree with what he had to do. But it kind of just pushed him aside to say that he didn't matter or what he was doing didn't matter. I thought that was completely unfair because how would you feel if somebody looked at you and you believed in what you believed in and they said that doesn't matter? You probably have the same reaction or even worse reaction than other people have supporting Colin Kaepernick. So that's where that divide really came about, where people were willing to say we're right and you're wrong and there's no in-between there. There's plenty of in-between in terms of having an opinion and having that opinion enforced one way or the other. Do you think, you know, obviously with the NBA playing at a strange time and the NHL playing at a strange time, and uh, do you think the impact would have been less than had the NBA not been playing? That's a really good question because I, I firmly believe that if we didn't have NBA basketball or any sports going on that got pushed back to this point, I think we might have more athletes out there that would have been a part of the protest 
they had that platform and that people who are watching an NBA game or seeing that reporter on the news had a chance to see their actions, it definitely had more of an impact than anybody could have ever imagined. But that, that's not to say that that impact would have been lessened had we not had NBA's basketball going on right now and they would have been on the front lines. It just would have been a different kind of impact that maybe would have gotten a different kind of reaction depending on who was going to be out there doing those things. And the fact you had the NBA teams and the NHL teams uh, all in one place, uh, NHL obviously in two places in Toronto and Edmonton, but the NBA's down in Orlando, the WNBA's uh, in, uh, not that far away in Braden. It's, it just seems like every, it's, you had everybody there, and that just helped maybe make the impact uh, of this uh, pr- uh, protest and boycott even stronger. Yeah, you had a perfect storm from that standpoint, but also let's remember, there were plenty of teams in Major League Baseball last week that did the same thing. We had the Milwaukee Brewers, they didn't play. The New York Mets and the New York Yankees, they didn't play. The Miami Marlins, they didn't play. The Seattle Mariners, they didn't play. Los Angeles Dodgers. So even though they were not in a bubble environment, they were willing to put themselves on the line to say, we're not to do this to support the cause that's out there regarding systemic racism and also systemic injustice. So even though the bubble environment was a perfect storm for the NBA, the WNBA, and the NHL, Major League Baseball did not allow themselves to be left behind, even though they were not in a bubble environment. Yeah, and I think the impact of what we saw last Thursday with the Mets and the Marlins, uh, they do the starting laps, the, the Mets go to their positions, uh, Miami Leo Fitter comes up to the plate, and then both teams come out of their dugouts, and there's a moment of silence for 42 seconds, of course, ironic was because they were going to celebrate Jackie Robinson weekend starting that next Friday and then all teams walked off the field and Jets and they left the uh, Black Lives Matter t-shirt on the home plate and then the next night Oakland and uh, Houston uh, did the same thing with uh, down in Houston so just the impact of that I mean watching that uh, last Thursday on SNY I just really made an impact on me what what happened I don't know if you had a chance to see it Oh, I definitely saw a lot when it was going on because I was at work by that time. But, Ken, I've also been a big believer going for what is going to be the plan of action and what are the actions going to be. And that's not to minimize or to really kind of desensitize myself to what they were able to do and what they were able to do last week, whether it's Major League Baseball, the NBA, et cetera. But going forward, it can't just be something that stops right there. What are your actions going to be going forward? It's great that people have a voice about this. It's great that people have a strong voice about what they believe has been complete, complete injustice when it comes to those things involving Black Lives Matter and and everything else. But going forward, what are you going to continue to do? Are you just going to be about the protest and be about having the T-shirt on? Are you really going to put more action into place beyond your words? So that's what I want to see, and I believe that's going to happen. I don't believe for one second that it's going to stop right there, but I want to see further and further as we go along. What is going to be the result? What is going to be the end game for what they were able to start and what they were able to do? And if they if they keep meeting resistance, but they keep going, then they weren't just about words in the T-shirt and showing people how they feel. They were about making sure that those actions were going to count to make sure these kind of things either don't happen again or don't happen as often as we've seen in the media being portrayed in the media regarding those instances that have happened so far. Speaking of uh, someone who always backed up his words, uh, John Thompson, the Georgetown basketball coach who passed away Monday at the age of 78. Uh, here's a man who looked intimidating and had a deep voice, and he was a man who protected his players, who stood up for his players. And, uh, of course, the one night over 31 years ago when he walked out of a game to protest the NCAA decision 
uh, of Proposition 48, which denied scholarships to freshmen who were academically ineligible. Uh, the, the man, he stood up for his, his players, like I said. Uh, wh what was the impact of John Thompson? Uh, to me, he made the Big East matter, and that's no disrespect to Syracuse or St. John's or Villanova or the other founding schools that were a part of the Big East. But the minute that John Thompson got Georgetown going and they became a perennial NCAA team, and then he was able to get Patrick Ewing and Reggie Williams and Alonzo Mourning at the Big Matambo. But before those guys came along, they didn't mind being the villain of the Big East because they knew exactly what that was all about. That's what they wanted because that's what Big East basketball was. Very competitive, very pugnacious, and nobody took a step back no matter where you were playing or who you were playing. But because of what he was able to be and not making any apologies for it, he raised the level of the Big East where all of a sudden, when you start to recruit players, you had to have in mind, who do I need to get to make sure that George not take our butt outside of whip us up a little bit with the kind of players and attitude that they were bringing to the table. So by him doing that and doing it his way, and I'll never forget, one of his players, Gene Smith, one of his guards in his team, they said, how did he prepare you? to go on the road. And he said, he told us the truth in a minute. He said, you're going to go to places where people are going to say things and you're going to hear, and you're going to say to yourself, I can't believe we are sharing the planet Earth with those people. <laughs> but if you can deal with that, being on a basketball court and playing at Syracuse and playing at Providence and playing at St. John's, it's not going to bother you. And then you're going to get to the point that the more and better you play, the less and less they're going to have anything to say about what they're able to he was able to tell them the truth from the jump, saying this is what we're going to be about, but this is what you're going to face. Not a lot of other coaches would have put themselves on the line that way. He not only molded basketball players, Ken, he molded young men. That 75 or 77 seniors who played at Georgetown got their degrees. You can't even get 15 kids to do that now. This day in college basketball to 77 players who played four years in basketball. The fact that he was able to do that, make sure that those men were going to be fortified, after basketball is over, says a lot about the man. And that's what I heard so much about John Thompson when he passed away. It wasn't anything about coaching. It was about the kind of person and the kind of people that he created as being the Georgetown head coach for so long. I think the one story I heard about him was uh, about the fact that he invited a notorious drug uh, kingpin in Washington and told him basically, mm -hmm. stay away from my players. And to me, if you know, if he can, he can uh, intimidate somebody like that, who's you know, a notorious guy like that, and I guess the guy ended up going to jail. That tells you John Thompson had some influence. Well, well when you're six ten and you have boys like his, going to carry a long way. But more important than anything else, Ken, when he put that out there, he knew he was going to have the support of so many people in Washington D.C. that were going to say, "Hey, John, I'll handle this if it needs to be handled." And you hate to think that real life situations should be a part of athletics. But athletics are part of real life, and that was something that he knew his players were going to be very social, that college kids were going to be very social, and they were going to go to places in D.C. that weren't the best in terms of having the best reputation. But he wanted to let it be known. I played. I'm not going to stop you from going there. If I have to, you're not going to do that. But I'm going to make sure that anybody thinks they can come in contact with you, they're going to have to get through me to get to you. A lot of coaches are hoping things won't, won't go wrong. He was going to make sure that he was going to be at the forefront of that, saying, I'm going to make sure this does not happen. And if something goes wrong, I'm not going to blame the dude that was around my players. I'm going to blame my players by saying, I told you about this guy. I want him to stay away from you, but you decided not to stay away from him. That was something he was going to make sure was not going to have to be a part of his Georgetown program off the basketball court. It says a lot about him that he had plenty of support to go with that big body and big 
Harrison in his Hall of Fame speech just several years ago said he wanted to thank Coach Thompson for saving his life. So it tells you, again, the man has influence over you know, helping people out and, you know, as, as I said, protecting his players. Yeah, I wonder about that because his mom went to John Thompson and said, give my son a second chance. I wonder how many other coaches she went to and they said, we're not going to do it or we can't be anywhere near your son. We know what happened in a bowling alley or we, we believe what happened in a bowling alley or we believe that we knew what happened in a bowling alley and we're not going to touch your son. Your son. I wonder how many other coaches she went to that told her no before she finally got that yes from John Thompson. I wonder if that was the first coach she went to thinking if anybody can save my son, it's going to be somebody like him. The fact that she had enough faith that if John Thompson gave her son a second chance, that he was not going to get in trouble again, says a lot about how much they, she believed that he was the right person at the right time for her son. And Allen Iverson didn't have any issues at Georgetown. He played there for two years, and he was a model citizen on and off the basketball court. And even when he got to the NBA, he all talked about that. If he was doing something that wasn't on board, one of the first people he heard from was from John Thompson saying, boy, you know better than that. You, you know your mom raised you better than that, and I taught you better than that at Georgetown. It's always great to have that guardian angel looking over over you, especially a six foot ten, two hundred eighty pound guardian angel known as John Thompson. I came to somebody like that. I, yeah, I wonder if you talked to uh, Iverson after the famous uh, practice <laughs> press conference. <laughs> that, that's a great question because I wonder what John Thompson, from what I heard, had a very sneaky and understated sense of humor. He might have gotten a kick out of that saying, "Really, that's the word you came up with to back up your point." I wonder how much he got a kind of a joke out of that saying. I know Alan Iverson is coming from, but that was pretty funny that it took on a life of its own. It still has a life of its own to this day, more than 12, 13 years after that whole thing happened. Yeah. Well, this is the first big week, supposedly anyway, of college football. We obviously not, not going to have Big Ten, no Pac-12. Are we going to get – and the NFL starts in a week. I mean, are we going to get through a football season unscathed? I don't know about unscathed, but I don't think we're going to have any interruptions when it comes to the NFL, and here's why I believe that, Ken. I think the NBA has clearly shown NFL players the way to say, you can do this even though you're not in a bubble environment per se, but why would you want to be the one that could undo all the hard work you've done as a league to make sure that everybody was going to be as safe as possible when the season gets started, and the season, you're right, it gets started less than less than 11 days from now, about eight days from now. And I also think Major League Baseball has shown that path because if you're an NFL player, do you want to be the one that gets sneak out from your players because you didn't do and follow the protocol? You don't want to be along the lines of Clevenger who did that with the Cleveland Indians. They want to trade him to the San Diego Padres and other players who did that and other people of the Miami Marlins organization. So I think plenty of NFL players clearly understand that they're still the biggest, baddest thing going when it comes to sports. And more than ever before, especially with no college football, no big-time college football beginning, the NFL is really going to have the weekend all to themselves until the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 get cranked up. So the NFL is always going to share the weekend anyway and still be a little bit ahead of college football in terms of a national perspective. But they're really going to have everybody's attention because there will be no other football going around. We're not going to have too much high school football in different states. And whatever college football is going to be out there, there are going to be plenty of players and coaches that have no idea about because they're not big-time college football players and big-time college football coaches. So the NFL clearly understands that we're able to really set the table for 2020. We have an enormous advantage. And if you're a player, you, it can't be about being selfish, saying, what about me? It's got to 
be about this going to be good for the league, and in the future, it's going to be good for us in the division collectively as an NFL. Well, Freddie, once again, I enjoyed the chat. I could probably go for an hour with you, but uh, I have some time constraints and all that stuff. But I appreciate it uh, once again a few minutes, and uh, let's try to do this again next month. Yeah, let's do it sooner than soon, my friend. Ken, always a pleasure. You take care, my man. You too, Freddie. That's Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio. Back to wrap up the Party Shots podcast in just a moment. racing fans want a chance to win a $50 gift certificate then play the Daily Gazette Saratoga Pick 7 pick your horses to score the most points in the first 7 races at Saratoga Racetrack the winner receives a $50 gift certificate to either an area eating establishment, hardware store golf course, bookstore or wine and liquor store to see the list of establishments participating pick up a copy of the Daily Gazette to play Go to pick7.dailygazette.com and make your picks 15 minutes before post time the day of the race. The Saratoga Pick 7 contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not affiliated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hey NASCAR fans, it's time to rev up the engines and play the Daily Gazette's All Racing Contest. Each week during the 36 week racing season, you pick 10 drivers. If you have the week's best point total, you'll receive a $50 Hannaford gift card. If you have the best point total for the season, you'll win a $250 Hannaford gift card. Be part of the fun. Go to dailygazette.com slash autoracing. Get your motor running and play today. Hi, this is RPI men's hockey coach Dave Smith. And you are listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. Keep checking out dailygazette.com in the print edition for the latest updates and news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. Now that the state is reopened, that does not mean you should relax. Keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be considerate. Be safe. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Mike McAdam and Freddie Coleman for being on the show. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe.